a treat to get to share that song with Plano in Fort Worth here in Dallas also. That's our friend Beth Bernard. She and Shane wrote that song about marriage for her sister who was in the middle of a tough marriage relationship and was having a hard time holding on. Don't we all? Marriage can be really, really hard, and it's the relationship we're going to talk to you about this week in the Can You Relate series. Marriage is having a bit of a PR crisis, isn't it? Um, More people uh, are getting divorced than ever. Fewer people are getting married than ever, and our Supreme Court has redefined marriage in our country forever. 30% of millennials say that they don't believe marriage is that big a deal in their life, which is up almost... um, you know, down 20% from what just one generation ago thought about the importance of marriage. 40% of Americans think that marriage is moving towards being obsolete. Marriage is having a real PR problem. Uh, There are fewer Americans that are married today than ever before. In fact, just a few years ago, for the very first time, we had more single American adults than married American adults. In the 19... um, I think 50s, we had 80% of America was married as adults. Today, it's below 50%. That changes your culture significantly. It changes housing issues. It changes uh, children issues. 75 plus percent of African-American kids are born into homes that do not have a mother and a father present. It's changing things. This is especially a big deal because marriage is... um, proven by every sociologist that's that's ever looked at this, anthropologists will tell you that, hey, this is the foundation of a society. Marriage is a big, big deal. When people study individuals' lives and they ask them how they're doing, they would tell you it's a fact, not Scripture's promise. It's a fact, which is always consistent with Scripture's promises, that marriages improve a person's mental and physical health. People who are married have better and more frequent sex. People who are um, married provide uh, a more prosperous, protective environment for children. And people who study children's behavior will tell you that the mental, emotional, and physical health of children increases when marriage relationships relate the way it just so happens a loving God tells you we should relate. We're in a series called Can You Relate? And what we're doing every week, we're taking some relationship in our life and we are um, talking about how we should um, prosper in it. And we're trying to grab one word that if you can associate with that relationship, it's gonna help that relationship do better. And so the very first week, we talked about how to relate to God, our Father. And the answer was, you do it not by imposing upon God and making God a reflection of your earthly father, but you come to know that in fact, your heavenly father is the perfection of your earthly father. Everything your dad wasn't, the loving heavenly father is. And many of us have had good dads and probably increasingly many more haven't. But the word that we said that you need to think of when you think of God is not judgment, it's not um, behave, it's good. We have a good, good God, and God wants a relationship with us far more than we'll ever want one with him. He doesn't love us because we're good. Because he is good, he loves us, and he makes every provision for us. He wants it to go well with us, and that's why he's given us his word. That was the second relationship you have with the word of God, the Bible. And the way you view the Bible 
matters greatly in your life. If you have an indifference towards the Bible, if you see it as a moral rule book that you've got to behave so your father will love you, then you've got a bad understanding of God's word. But your good, good father, because he is good, has given you instruction. He has given you truth that will set you free and help you understand why you're here, why the world that you're in has gone crazy, how he's gonna make it right, how he wants to reconcile you to him, the provision he made for you, where you're going and what you do while you're here to have ultimate meaning and purpose. The way you treat the word of God is a treasure. That's the word. If you don't see the word of God as a treasure, you will not mine through it to understand more of God, understand more of his intention for you, understand how he's been working in human history. It's not a collection of fables. It's God working in the context of human history that you can test and verify, and he wants it to go well with you, and so you should treasure it. And just be excited to sit at his feet and listen to what your loving father says to you. The third relationship we talked about is a relationship that all of us have with a certain life stage. At some point, every single one of us was single. And when you think of singleness and how you relate to singleness, this is the word you should use. The word is gift. It's a gift. And JP did an amazing job last week. I was so excited to share that message. About 36% of our body is single. All of us, as I said, at one point in our adult lives was single. Adult married people need to view our single friends as a gift. Our single friends who are still there need to take advantage of the gift they have at this particular place in their life and use it well. If you weren't here, I beg you to listen to that message. It is the best theology of singleness that you can ever hear because it's rooted in God's word. We talked about how, now watch this, singleness is a gift and you need to trust the giver. And then we talked about how in your singleness, you need to take that gift that you've been given by a good God and you need to use it to live for eternity. And then we said, ultimately, that we need to understand that people are single for a reason. And that reason was to glorify God while they were single. Not to, to make hay while the sun shines. And JP did a great job of talking to you how he completely misunderstood that for much of his life. Now we're at the Topic of marriage. How do you relate to marriage? What's the word? There's lots of words I could have used, but guess what the word's gonna be? Gift. Same word. Marriage is a life stage. If you're not single, you're married, that God has given us, and he defines marriage. He sets us up for success in marriage, and we need to trust the giver, which means we need to trust his design for marriage. We need to trust his provision in it. We need to take his advice as we move into it, and we need to live inside of it the way that he wants us to. Well, how do you live, Todd, in this gift of marriage? Well, as you trust the giver, you live for eternity in it, not for your own pleasure today. And then thirdly, you need to remember, just like we said last week, people are single for a reason. We relate to marriage by understanding that we are married for a single reason. And I'm gonna explain that reason to you. But we're talking a lot about gifts, and so to start this whole thing off and gift giving and talk, I thought I would give us a gift because we're, we're talking about gift giving. So I've got here three envelopes that are absolutely identical in size and in appearance, but they're not identical with what is in them. And what I wanna do is just grab somebody who would like to have a gift. Somebody I don't know, somebody who's here, kind of, okay, come on up here, man. We'd love to give you a gift. And so all I want to do is just to start, you can just, you can take these and feel their same weight and same size and all that different stuff and take whichever one you want. Just grab one. That's the one. You sure? All right, let's go ahead and open that real quick. And tell me what's in there, okay? What you have in there is a bunch of uh, paper. I'll hold it up for them and show them. 
Now you grab one that had a lot of white paper in there, right? But the good news is there's one little piece of green paper there at the top. It's a Benjamin. And so, bless you. Enjoy the gift, all right? Now, pretty fun. Come, that's what you get for sitting in kind of the Shamu splash section here as I speak and spit. You get 100 bucks, all right? So uh, enjoy that. Go grab lunch with a friend, take some folks out, use it to minister, do whatever you want. That's just a gift to you. Gifts are like that, man. When you get them and you like the gift, like, wow, that's amazing. I just got 100 bucks. I'm pretty excited about it. When you get married, isn't that the way you first looked at your spouse, right? That's the way, and I notice I said, when you got married, it's the way you first looked at your spouse, right? I, I love, when I do weddings, I love when I stand there by the groom, okay? And I've done, I don't know, well over 100 weddings. And as I'm standing there, and I love that tension as it mounts, and I kind of nod at the mother of the bride, and she stands, and everybody else stands, and that guy is just, you can feel the electricity, and that woman's been doing everything she can to make herself as beautiful as she can for that particular moment. Man, those doors kick open, the music builds, and here she comes, and often tears are associated with it. And that guy, I've never seen a, bride, a bridegroom go, whatever, right? I mean, no, and they're at attention. They're so excited, and here comes this gal, and it's like, what a gift. Oh, God, that's all I asked for, all I prayed for, and look at her. This is an amazing moment. I am so proud of her. I want the whole world to see how I love her. I bought an expensive ring to slide on her finger to show that I care for her. But here's the problem. So many women are treated as kind of worthless trash at the hands of their husband, even though they slide on their finger precious jewels. We're so careful. We rehearse weddings, man, right? We want to make sure that we don't do anything in a wedding ceremony, in this public moment that would bring shame to our family. But how much is said often in marriage because we stop, that, that really hurts our family name, because we stop seeing our bride or our groom as a gift. That's what happens when you start to compare. Comparison is um, comparing your spouse to other people, your Eve to other people. Elaine's, all right, or Edna's, uh, or whatever other women's names might be, is the fast track to discontentment. You know, this is something that Adam and Eve didn't really have a problem with, right? When, when, when God created Adam, okay, um, he, he was just going to show Adam, like, look, I'm not done with all of my creation yet. I've made the, the animal kingdom, I've made the plants, I've made nature, I've made the sea, I've made the dry land. I'm, I'm making it all perfect, but there's something missing here, Adam, because in creating humanity in my image, I'm not done yet, because humanity uh, is male and female. It's not just male. And I want you to see that, that, that part of the gift I'm going to give you is this beautiful other thing that will come forth from you and is part of my creation. And so it says that God put Adam into a deep sleep after he had brought before him all the animal kingdom. And so Adam had seen giraffes. He goes, those are really crazy looking, but I'm not really drawn to it. That hippopotamus is not really what I'm thinking I'm going to take the prom, right? The platypus is curious, but I don't think I want to you know, swipe right on it when I'm on Tinder and on and on, Right? And so Adam was like, hey, I don't see the right thing for me, the right helper, the right completer, the right, the right yin to my yang. I don't see pieces that fit. And then all of a sudden, God put him to sleep. And when he woke up, there was Eve. And for the very first time in creation, as creation was complete and Eve was there, God said, this is very good. And so did Adam. He was like, oh my gosh, that is like me, except it's got breasts and I am all in, right? I mean, literally, that's... <laughs> Right? I mean, he was like, I'm in, right? The pieces fit. That is soft and beautiful. And there was nothing else 
to compare her to, and he was filled with delight, and there, there was nothing. Now, we know a little bit later that Adam had an unhealthy fear of snakes and didn't talk well with them. Uh, it was passive. We know that uh, he didn't do great in the game of telephone because God told him to not eat from the tree of life. And he told Eve, God said, don't eat or touch it and set her up. We know that Eve wasn't the best at picking out the best fruit in the produce aisle. And there was things about both of them, right, that wasn't exactly correct and right and excellent and best, but there was no one to compare them to. But you and I do. We compare our, our, our brides, don't we? We compare our grooms to other people and our comparison is a fast track to discontentment. By the way, this is why pornography is such a problem. When you look at pornography, okay, when you look at another woman with lust, whether it's actual visual image or a still, um, a video image or a still image or just a woman walking in front of you in the street and you start to fantasize about that, but pornography explicitly, when you compare your woman, you're on a highway to discontentment, but when you look at pornography, you're traveling at light speed towards discontentment. You're creating a fantasy world that doesn't even really exist about how a woman should respond to you. And if you wanna see your Eve start to struggle, your Adam, as you read fantasy romances, or as they called Fifty Shades of Grey mommy porn, and be discontent with your life, then you just start to compare your Adam or your Eve to somebody else. In fact, scientists will tell you that you are literally neurologically hardwiring your brain to be discontent with your spouse when you lust at other people. This is, by the way, the kindness of God. When God teaches us stuff, he doesn't just do it to burden us. In Exodus chapter 20, verse seven, um, he, he said this to us. He said, listen, or 2017, he said, look, I don't want you to covet your neighbor's house. I don't want you to covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox. I don't want you to lust after anything that anybody else has. It's gonna make you discontent. And what we see now as we study this scientifically and sociologically is the reason that God tells us that is not because he's mad at us if we do it, but because it hurts us when we do it. This is why 1 John 5, 3 is true. It says, and this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments aren't burdensome. They set us up free. When you start to go, gosh, I wish I had Elaine and not Eve. I wish I had Alan and not Adam. I wish my husband was like that. He made this money. He did this. He was more handy. Whatever it might be, it's going to lead to discontentment. Let me just give you a, a simple way to illustrate this. So let me grab my envelopes again and, uh, and come up here. And uh, I just need a couple other guys who will help. All right, good. All right, well, you two, come here. That was quick. Yeah, for sure, dude, I'm in, right? So come on over here so our friends in Plano and uh, Fort Worth can see this. And what I want you to do is um, just grab either one. I'll let you go first, all right? What's your name? I'm Todd. I'm Ben. Hello, Ben. Good to meet you, bro. Just grab whichever one you want. You sure? All right, it's yours. Excellent. Why don't you open that up real quick? Put this one right here. What do you got? So there's some white in yours, I see, but not quite as much white. Let me just see here. All right, we'll take this, and we'll pull this out. Put your hand out there, Ben. Let's see this. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Bless you, bro. There's a thousand. All right? All right, so now, you look at that, and, um, and you're like, whoa, I'm gonna start sitting up front from now on, number one. All right, number two, I didn't meet you. What's your name? Harmon. Harmon? Okay, and so Harmon, how are you feeling about your envelope now? Oh, Carmen, yes. How are you feeling about your name? Okay, but Carmen, all right. Uh, 
So Carmen, like you had three envelopes there. That guy just got 10 times what you got, that 100 bucks. I mean, you're like, oh, you know, you're, you're right there. The guy's like, hey, come and get picked that one, right? All of a sudden, it's just not quite a deal, right? You're still grateful? All right, well, good. Well, let's let this last envelope come out then, all right? You got one. That's all I got. Open that bad boy up. Let me show you what you got, all right? Let me see it. All right, there's no white in there. All right? I'm not going to count them out, but there's 50 of them. There's five grand, baby. Be blessed. All right, now. <laughs> All right. Yes. Yeah. You'll never complain again when your parents say, let's go to church, will you? Now, look what just happened right there. There were three envelopes. They kind of all looked alike. You chose the one. It was yours. It was a gift, and you got it, all right? I don't know what's going on in your life, and it was an amazing blessing. I mean, you guys could go, and you could grab a, a, a movie and split a Coke if you go to look, okay, for 100 bucks, and, uh, you know, but then you go, gosh, I had to pick that one. I got it 10 times that what Ben got, and then your name, Austin grabbed one, right, and he got 50 times what you got, and all of a sudden, you start to go, man, that other envelope. Bro, we were 33% chance. You're like, dude, I was 50% to get 5K. And you start to compare and there's a little discontentment. Didn't you feel great about your envelope when you grabbed it? And then you were like, are you kidding me? <laughs> now, let me just tell you something. Um, I'm not crazy. I'm not giving away $26,000 this weekend. I know Ben and I know Austin, all right? That money is gonna continue to be part of the money that we've all stored here together. We'll go back into the mission, all right? Carmen, you really get to keep your $100, all right? All right? So, first of all, don't come back at five today and sit up front, all right? You're not gonna get the money, all right? Second of all, all right, don't you feel now pretty good about your gift? The one you picked is really the one I was gonna give you, okay? I had it where I was hopeful you were gonna pick that one. You did, and these guys grabbed those, but what happened just for a moment, like, are you kidding me? Oh, my gosh. But then when I tell you, no, that's the real gift. That's yours. That sticks. You're like, good, that's a good gift. You love it again. See, when we start to compare, man, we lose some of our appreciation. Um, and when the enemy can make you think that what God, who James chapter 1, verse 17 says this, right? James chapter 1, verse 17 says that God is the giver of every good thing. Every perfect gift is from above, and it comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. Now, Proverbs chapter 19, verse 14, which is why I chose the word gift, says this, that a house and an inheritance are a gift from a father, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. And if it's from the Lord, you know it's a good thing. Now, here's the deal. Some of you are thinking, bro, you don't know my wife. You're like the guy that... Um, <laughs> Right, let's imagine it's a story of a guy that was sitting there at a church just like this, and all of a sudden, poof, right? And there's, there's the satanic presence right there in front of everybody. I mean, people freak out, they storm, they run out of here they, as fast as they can, they're climbing all over each other, except one dude, he's still sitting right there. And, and Satan looks at him and goes, what are you doing? Don't you know who I am? He goes, oh, I know exactly who you are. He goes, well, what, what, what do you think about me? He goes, I think you're horrible. I think you're the, the, the prince of darkness. He goes, well, don't you know what I can do to you? The guy goes, I know exactly what you can do to me. And, and Satan says, well, aren't you scared of me? And the guy looks back and says, why should I be scared of you, man? I've been married to your sister for 48 years. <laughs> Look, when Satan gets you to believe that your spouse is your problem, he's got you beat. 
Let me just say this to you real quick. Your spouse is not your enemy. Your spouse is a gift from God. Satan is your enemy. Every single marital problem is a spiritual problem. Now, some of us make decisions early on that get us into a relationship that God would say, that wouldn't be prudent, which is why God instructs us to marry well. But you've got to treat your wife and your husband as a gift. Stop comparing it. That's what you chose that person for. Hopefully you chose well. I know even when you choose well, it can go sideways. And I'm gonna tell you, even in a marriage that goes sideways, marriage is still a gift. I'm gonna prove it to you biblically here in just a moment. What I'm gonna say today is gonna be really hard, but it is true. And because it's true, it's life-giving. You gotta trust the giver of the gift. You gotta live for eternity in the midst of the gift, and you gotta know that you are married for a single reason. Let's talk about this. I will tell you that this week I started to pray something I, I, I can tell you that I um, don't, haven't prayed my whole life consistently for, and, and I'm, I'm upset that I haven't. I was reading around this this week. I read a, an a, a amazing book that was really helpful to me that made me think about things I can do better in my marriage, and one of the things the guy said in that book, which was really helpful to me, is he just said, hey man, you ought to start praying every day, Lord, let my wife define beauty to me. Let her be my Eve. Give me eyes only for her. And I just started praying that. And I got to tell you, I, I, you know, if you've not been around Watermark very long, you don't know, when I was prepubescent, eight years old to really 15 years old, I was shown more visual images of Eve's in seductive settings than anybody should see in a lifetime. And I was exposed to massive amounts of women doing things that even before my body was designed to respond, it was being just juiced. And it was being neurologically wired to want multiple partners and, and to satisfy itself. And it was poison to me. And I, I married a, a, a beautiful gal when I was 28 is when I um, got the gift of marriage. And, and I have to work every day at making sure that I don't want to go back to what for a long time I was hardwired to find as that which stimulated me. And, uh, and by the grace of God, I have done that. But this week, even as I was praying differently and just saying, Lord, let my wife be the definition of beauty. Um, this week, I'm, I'm uh, um, glowing a little bit because my wife and I got away. We went to um, Mexico and got some sun for um, four or five days and got to hang out together. And um, you know, while we were there, I was reading, I was praying, right? Uh, there were other Eves around, uh, attired in swimwear, and I just said, let her be my definition of beauty. What's really interesting is while I was there, um, I was reading and I read about another hotel um, in Mexico that is the number one rated hotel in all of Mexico that I wasn't at. And uh, they were actually um, shooting, uh, they, were, they were offering something uh, in a three-day period called um, Marry Thyself. And it was a three-day immersion to enjoy yourself and learn to satisfy yourself under the guidance of their own shaman. And I thought, man, how sad is that? that people are, are falling more and more in love with themselves. And I kept praying, Lord, help me fall in love with my wife. Help me cherish my wealth. Help her be a gift to me. When we left Mexico, we went back um, to the airport and we were checking in. Um, you know, we gave our passports to the attendant right there. They um, got my passport and they processed, they got my wife's passport. They go, man, where's your immigration form? And, uh, and she goes, oh, my wife is always the one that tells me, don't throw that away, Todd. I'm like, what, it's just a piece of paper. She goes, keep it. You needed to get out. And my wife, my Eve, had, had lost hers. 
And so I said to the lady, I go, so what do we do? She goes, well, you got to go back over to immigration and you got to pay to get another one. And I can remember when I heard the word pay to get another one, what flashed through my mind, which is like Eve, I should have married a kangaroo so she had a marsupial pouch and she wouldn't have lost her. That's what went through my mind, all right? And, and, and just for a second, I'm like, look, we came here this way, so we didn't pay that much for a ride. I'm sure it's going to cost us. It turned out it was 30 bucks, but still, my flesh, this all happened in a second in my head. We're like, come on, man, 30 bucks? We just were down here for a week. We don't got money to throw like that. Come on, what are you doing? The first thing I wanted to say, and in an inside a second, I, I literally thought, okay, 30 bucks. I get, to, I get to redeem my Eve from being kidnapped by Mexican immigration for 30 bucks. <laughs> and I'm not kidding you. That happened inside a second. And so I go, $30? I go, baby, you're worth $30,000. Let's go get that thing. And I mean, I, you could just see my wife. She went, what just happened right there? That's not the response I expected. There's been other times in our marriage when I'm just like, come on, man, you backed the car into that? What? You got a what? But in this time, I just go, you're a gift to me. Praise God, I've got a wife that can back a car into something. <laughs> and I thought, so we, we did, I grabbed, I swear to you, I grabbed my wife's hand. I never raised my voice. I wasn't even discouraged. I go, baby, I go, I, I go I'm so, listen, I, how many times would I do that? I can't believe it. Don't worry about it. She goes, I, I'll find it, I'll find it. Don't worry about it. I walked her to that immigration office, the guy's sitting over there. And I go, man, word is that you need something for me so I can get this thing, so I can get my Eve back. And the guy looks at me and goes, what? I go, how much do I need to give you? He goes, it's 30 bucks cash. I said, I'd give you 30,000, bro. Look at her. <laughs> and this dude that was there to stand with up, looked at him, he got a big smile on his face. And you could just see him kind of go, bro, I don't get that very often. I go, wouldn't you pay 30 bucks to get to take this thing back home? I had some fun, I had a chance to talk to the guy and encourage him a little bit, right? And he goes, she ain't for sale for 30 bucks, dude, all right? But I'm going to buy her back from your hostage-taking government now for 30 bucks. And so off we went. Now, I'll be honest with you. I, was, I literally got the $30 out, was ready to give it to him, and Eve goes, I got it! I go, oh, sweet, baby, you're even better looking than you are. A second ago, save the 30 bucks. <laughs> save the 30 bucks. But even more, my wife was like, God, what a, what a blessing my husband was in that moment. And I thought to myself, what a blessing I was in that moment for one reason, because by the grace of God, by the grace of God, what Todd Wagner typically does is just berate somebody and makes them feel small. What the heck? You can't even call it a piece of paper? It's 30 bucks. I don't know it's 30 bucks, but it's 30 bucks. Right? And she gets over it. But man, I, instead, man, my wife felt cherished and loved and celebrated, and I showed her off. I told her about it. She was worth 30 grand. How do you think that worked out for me? All right? And it's going to work out for you the same way. If you just are somebody that just starts to go, this is my bride. I trust the giver of my gift. Now, let me just, just do this real quick. Let me say this to my single friends. All right? Because in the gift of singleness, God says to you, hey, be free. You don't need to get married if you don't want to. But if you're going to get married, make sure you listen to the treasure that is my word because I'm a good, good father. And you don't want to get married to somebody that's going to think that marriage is all about them. And so 2 Corinthians 6, 14. 2 Corinthians 6, 14 is really talking about who you yoke with in life as you go through life, but it has implication in the most intimate of all relationships, and it says this, don't be bound together with unbelievers who don't think that there's a good, good father who has a word that's a treasure to you because it shows you the way of life. For if you know that you've got a good, good father, what partnership does that right view of God have with the wrong view of God? Somebody would tell you that God gives bad gifts. 
and then if you just had something else, you'd be happier. No, what fellowship is light, a right view of God with darkness, a clouded view of God that believes that there's something better than what God calls you to. What harmony has Christ with the enemy? Why should an unbeliever who's gonna live a different way be yoked to a believer? This is why God tells you, man, be very slow in choosing your mate. Don't lower your standards, single friends. Lengthen your patience. Figure out who your master is. Is he a good, good father? And once you determine who your good, good father is, you treasure his word and you study it. And so you get on mission with him. And as you're on mission with him, you make sure then you find somebody else who's on the same mission with the same view of the master and let that be your mate as you go through life. What a joy and what a privilege to share my life with that kind of guy. I remember when I was uh, taking my um, oldest son to college, we went to Arkansas and we were walking around the campus, the University of Arkansas. And, and um, Everywhere I look, I see a good-looking, you know, 18-year-old Arkansas co-ed, right? And I'm just kind of looking this way and looking that way and seeing them. I'm not lusting after them. I'm glad for my E, but I'm noticing. I ain't blind. And I, I, I was walking with my 18-year-old son. I got my other son with me who's 13 at the time and my wife there. And I just put my hand on my son. And I said, slow down a second. And I let Eve, you know, and the boy get in front. And I just say, hey, but what do, you, what do you see? And because he's 18, he goes, uh, I don't know, you know? And... Um, <laughs> I go, no, 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 what, what, what do you see? I mean, look around you, man. Do you see what I see? And, he, and then he kind of looks at me like, Dad, I'm not sure I'm comfortable with this conversation that we're having. <laughs> and I go, no, I want to ask you, what do you see? What do you think of specifically when you see all these cute girls walking left and right and all around us? Because, man, there's a bunch. I've seen 10, and we're just walking for 15 minutes. What do you think? And he just goes kind of like that. I said, here's what you better think. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain. But a woman who fears the Lord should be praised. You see that 50-year-old up there? She's still beautiful and charming to me. But she's 50. And she fears the Lord. And it's a blessing. And I'm telling you, buddy, you better find one when she's 18 or 20 or 21 or 28 that fears the Lord. Or you're going to be miserable. And you better not be duped by the beauty of youth. You better find somebody who loves the Ancient of Days. Single friends, let me just tell you, you have a good, good father. You need to treasure his word, and you need to do the gift of singleness. You can't be the spouse God wants you to be unless you become right now the person you're supposed to be. And the person you're supposed to be is somebody who has a right view of the master, who's on mission, and as you run, you find a mate to run with, who will then love as God has enabled them to love, and it will be a blessing. Trust the giver. Seek the Lord. Don't seek a spouse. But even when you've got a spouse, seek the Lord. He's the gift. That's the person who will help you become more like him. Second one, right? Watch, we told you that not should you trust just the giver, but live for another world. That's what you do with the gift of marriage. All right? Um, 1 Corinthians 7 is where we hung out a lot last week because Paul's talking about how you should use the gift of singleness. But there's this really strange verse in there in chapter 7, verse 29 that I want us to look at. And in chapter 7, verse 29, in fact, somebody just wrote this in the real truth real quick. It's the question I answered for next week. And they said, what's this verse mean? And the verse says this, but I say, brethren, the time has been shortened so that those who have the gift of marriage, those who have wives, should be as though they had none. And the person said, what's that mean? That they should act like they don't have a wife. And here's basically what Paul is saying around that. In the context, he is communicating to them that whatever happens on earth, whether you're single or whether you're married, you need to make sure that you live for eternity. And what will happen is when you get married, 
you're going to have the tendency to let the monkey of marriage grow into a gorilla of distraction. Like that's all you wanna do is build a nest and build a house and build a retirement income and have kids and make sure you're comfortable and take vacations. And what he's saying is don't you let that happen. It's a fact that when you get married, you're going to have a harder time staying on mission with God, because while you're on mission with God, in addition to staying faithful for God, you've got to appropriately, sovereignly take the assignment to temporarily give yourself to another person. And because you love them, and because if you marry somebody who knows who I am, who lives according to the treasure of God's word, it's going to be a blessing to you when it comes time for you to do what Jesus wants you to do, and it's going to lead to persecution or suffering or loss or maybe martyrdom. You're going to be tend- You're going to maybe want to pull back so you can stay with your Eve. And he's saying, don't. I'll take care of your Eve. You keep living as if all you have to do is please me. Note, if you seek to please God, you're going to care for your wife. You're going to honor your husband. But make sure that that doesn't pull you off mission. And it can happen. We start to worry about zip codes and picket fences and college funds. And we get off mission. All that verse is saying, we know that what Paul's not saying is um, act like you're not married and ignore your wife because just a few verses early in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 3, he said the husband must fulfill his duty to his wife. Likewise, the wife to her husband. The only time you should be fully present, even intimately engaged with each other, is if for a season you pull away, in verse 4, for prayer or fasting, to where you're more intimately acquainted with the Father so that the overflow of that relationship, you can love your Eve and love your Adam. You always live for eternity with a gift. That's why you marry somebody whose mission is to live for eternity with a single gift. I tell young adults, don't marry somebody who's not already well married. In other words, somebody who's married to Christ and has left and adjusted their entire life because their bridegroom Jesus died for them and who cleaves to him. They evaluate every new thing by asking, will this draw me closer to Jesus or take me further from him? Who's committed to becoming one with Christ as the spirit wants you to be. When you find somebody, male or female, who's wanting to be more like Jesus and has left their old life and is cleaving to Jesus and new things so they might be one with God, marry that person. All right, seek the Lord, don't seek a spouse. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and you find somebody else who's doing the same thing and it will be a gift. It will be a gift. Uh, What about the third one? Because now we're gonna get to that truth that is hard but it's true. Marriage is a gift, and we need to understand that people are married for a single reason. You're not married because it's there to make your life happy. I wanna make it very clear to you. Married people have more and better sex. You might be thinking, bro, you don't know my marriage. People who live underneath God and his treasure of his word and live and love the way they want, they have more and better sex. They are mentally and emotionally healthier people. Children prosper and are protected underneath them. But if it goes sideways, marriage can still be a gift. Let me give you one quick illustration. Early days of Watermark, um, we were um, growing rapidly, and about three to four years in, I had a couple come up to me, and they just said, hey, Ty, we want to let you know we're transitioning out of Watermark. And I just go, hey, well, I, I get it. You know, sometimes that's maybe the right thing to do. I understand. Tell me what, what you're thinking. And they said, so, well, we believe that, um, you know, it's just, 
well, this is not the same watermark that we used to be a part of. And I go, oh, man. Man, would you forgive me? And they go, and they go oh, I told you, sweetie. Dad, you don't, you don't need to ask our forgiveness. Um, I go, no, 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 listen to me. Will you forgive me? And the guy goes, what are you talking about? I go, well, let me ask you a question. Are we still committed to the word of God like we were three years ago? Yeah. Are we still um, committed to lost people? Are we still grounded in grace, living authentically, passionate about prayer? Are we still focused on ministry and service? Are we still all in for Jesus and the words, our authority, conscience, and guide? And you're telling me that the reason you're leaving is because the music's changed, the songs we used to sing, we don't sing anymore. We don't just have one services, we have two. We don't meet for an hour and 45 minutes. We have two services that are a little shorter and you're leaving because some of your preferences have changed. Will you please forgive me, man? Because you've been here for three years and I've been supposed to help you grow as a follower of Christ and somehow three years later, you still think this is all about you. Will you please forgive me? Now, all right, um, that changed the tenor of our conversation, as you can imagine. But I wasn't being mean. I was just saying, look, here's what I'm talking about. Listen, man, if there's a place that you can go and prosper more, if you've grown up here and God's gonna use you to serve somewhere else and, and honor him more in another place, or if there's a place that, that the word's being taught more, people are more serious about the faith, tell me, and we'll all go there with you. But if you're telling me you're leaving because in your little spiritual narcissism, there, there's, there's music you like more, or, or the parking's not quite as crowded as that, and you still see God showing up here, what are you doing? Mature believers do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind considers others as more important than themselves. This isn't about you. You're a part of the body of Christ. And we are making disciples and we're on mission here. Of course it's gonna change. You know, sometimes folks come into my world and we're talking about their marriage and they go, bro, you don't know my marriage. This is not easy. And I go, hey, bro, will you forgive me because you've been underneath my leadership and somehow you thought your marriage was all about you? Would you forgive me? Because your marriage was never about you. I mean, God has given you a design that if you live your marriage that way, it's going to be a blessing. Okay, but you've got to seek him. You've got to, you've got to um, abide with him. You've got to become a servant to your spouse and not be upset that your spouse isn't serving you that way. And by the way, God didn't want you to get into a marriage on purpose that was crazy. Maybe you made a bad decision in marriage. Let me tell you something. If I was preaching, I don't know, uh, 3,000 years ago and Hosea was in my congregation, I couldn't say God doesn't want you to marry somebody that's going to make you miserable because God did tell Hosea to marry Gomer, who was a prostitute that was gonna be unfaithful and have kids with another men, uh, other men so that he would go and redeem her and love her and reconcile with her again and again as an illustration using his servant to love Gomer to show Israel this is what love looks like. You are a Gomer to me, but I am Hosea. Hashua, the Lord saves. You watch the way Hosea pursues this woman who is a skank but I will redeem her and make her mine and make her my beloved. And God said, that's the picture, New Testament. Listen to me, he ain't calling you to be a Hosea, so marry well. But some of us end up married to Gomers. And we're like, okay, what do I do now with the gift? Answer, you still have a chance. In fact, you have a horrible chance to do even more then maybe somebody like me who by the grace of God is abiding right now with Jesus, with a wife that's abiding with Jesus. And so we treat each other as a gift and we respect and we honor and we love and we reconcile and we work through our problems and it's a blessing. We're not perfect, but we work on our marriage and we forgive and we keep short accounts and we are one. And it is a gift. But I got married not because it was gonna be easy. 
I got married because I wanted to honor God. And so watch this. Are you ready? This is marriage. You're married for a single reason, Christian. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, let's talk about the men first. It says, husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her like Jesus did us. He cleansed us by the washing of the water with the word that he might present the church to himself with all her glory being um, exposed, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that the church would be holy and blameless and adored and provided for. So husbands, you ought to love your wives that same way. So watch this. This is the husband's job description. When you got married, you didn't say, I'm in this because it's going to be awesome, man. You got in this because you say, I'm going to, before the watching world, move into this honorable covenant where I'm going to love her the way Jesus loves the church. Here's the job description. I'm going to love her unconditionally, constantly, completely, endlessly for all eternity. I'm going to initiate with her with great patience. I'm going to be tender, unshakable, sacrificial, selfless, even to the point of death until we part. I'm going to love this woman. Now listen, I do that thinking the woman's gonna love me back, but I don't say that. I've never done a wedding where somebody wrote into the vows, unless Eve puts on 20 pounds. Or some younger girl shows me a lot of affection. Or Eve just gets distant or sick. No, I say for better or for worse, you're mine. I'm gonna love you as Christ loved the church. Right, Christian? Wife, let's look at you. The wife is to... Love the husband in a responsive way. Be respectful towards him. Be obedient, to be submissive, humble, adoring, fully devoted to him in every way, just celebrating the relationship. And by the way, women, let's just go back and just put just the guys up there. Who wouldn't want to do those things when a husband and a man is unconditionally, constantly, completely initiating with great patience and tenderness, cherishing and honoring you and dying for you and pouring out his life and you are his gift and everything about his life is all about adoring you. And he'd give 30,000 to redeem you from Mexico. Don't you want to go, I'll follow that guy. I want that guy, right? Well, that's the picture that God wants. Now listen, let's put them both back up there. And I just want to give you a little empathy with each other. Because which of these two job descriptions is the harder? Now, if you'll notice, I added another word now to the guy's side. Because if you're going to love as Christ loved, you got to do all those things perfectly. Because the, the husband's job is to love as Christ loved. Perfectly. The woman's job doesn't change. Which one's harder? Are you ready? I think it's the woman's. By far. You know why? Listen to me. Because I've already told you, I'm on both sides of this equation. As a, as a man in marriage, I am loving as Christ loved the church. As a part of the church, I am loved by a Jesus that doesn't aspire to that job description. He is that job description. And there's tons of time when I'm non-responsive to Jesus. I am not respectful to Jesus. I am disobedient. I am not submissive. I am prideful that I could do better than him in leading my life. I don't adore him. I adore me. I am not devoted to anything but me. I am on this side with a perfect bridegroom, and I still can't love well. Can you imagine how hard it would be to follow a guy that's impetuous, moody, selfish, and inconsistent? You know what that makes me do? It makes me every day get on my knees and go, oh Lord, would you let me love a little bit more like Jesus so that my Eve doesn't have it harder than I do? And I know how hard as a fallen human it is to be yoked to a perfect God. Would you make me a vessel of grace to her? Would you make her a vessel of grace to me? May I not take advantage of the grace she extends, but let me be a gift to her. And I can only be that gift to her is if it's your love, not mine. 
Now, if my Eve, listen to this, goes to another man, if my Eve is indifferent to me, if my Eve goes another way, I still, Lord, I haven't lost the gift of marriage. I now have a gift to model what love looks like. So the world's gonna look at me, what are you doing, bro? You deserve better than that. There's nothing you've ever done, which is not true, but there's nothing you've ever done. That girl's treating you like that, dude. You're still young. Go get you a young one. And I'm gonna say, no, man. I told the world, I told my God that I use the gift of marriage for a single reason. This ain't about me. I love her like Jesus loves me. Are you confused by that kind of love? You ought to be. This is 1 Peter chapter 2, 11, where it says, hey man, abstain from fleshly lust. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles. So they go, who are you? Who are you? You're like an otherworldly person. You're right, I'm otherworldly. I am loving with a love that is not natural. It's the love of Jesus for you. And you can see it in my broken marriage and my attentiveness to my Eve. Eve, same thing right back there, right? What are you doing? That guy is callous. He's not loving. He doesn't initiate with you. He's catting around. Why are you still doing all you can to honor him, respect him, to pray for him, that God would change his heart? Answer, because this isn't really about Adam. This is about my Savior, Jesus Christ. I told him that I would be in this covenant commitment to this man. I'm not going to stay here and be abused, but I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to pray that Adam ultimately turns to me. And until that time, I'm going to remain single until God restores this covenant. He may never. He may take Adam home, and then I'm free. But I said, till death, I'm going to love and pray for this man. And you know what? Even sometimes my God, he gives me cancer. There's school shootings. There's earthquakes. There's stuff I don't understand about my God, but I know he's good, and so I trust him. And the way you see me trusting that God's in the middle of this is the way I trust my God all the time. I have a peace that passes understanding. I grieve, but not as somebody who doesn't have hope. What you see in me is steadfast faithfulness, not to Adam, but to Jesus. And what do you think the world's gonna say to that? Who are you? Answer, I'm somebody who knows the gift of the love of Jesus Christ that I am wed to, and I'm on mission for him. And it breaks my heart that my mate is not a gift, but I'm still serving my king. Marriage is a gift. This is a hard truth, but it's true. Church, this is a big deal. You gotta trust the giver. You live for eternity, not for today. But he wants you today to be blessed, so make sure you trust the giver in selecting your Adam and checking your Eve. But even when your Adam and your Eve go sideways, you can still use the gift because it's not about you. You are married for a single reason. Now, folks, I'll do this very quickly. You can't do this, man. You cannot love if you just rely on your own resources Okay, and this is what so many married folks do. They get married, they're filled with emotion, and they go, oh, it's a gift. I'll never look at anybody else. I love my Adam, I love my Eve, and we're gonna be committed to each other, and this little flame's gonna keep burning until we don't want it to burn anymore. And, and so we'll just go with one. It doesn't really matter. Let's just say you're a guy, and you're gonna love your wife, and I'm committed to her. And you get yourself in a closed system of your own emotions, and you get yourself in a closed system of your own way, and you're gonna use the tips and techniques of, of buy her flowers, write her notes, all right? Both of you work out and you live in your own little closed system of your own will and your own works. I'm gonna tell you something. Eventually, that flame is gonna go out. We can't love the way that we're supposed to love. There's got to be a resource that enables us to love like I'm talking. And that's why he says, don't yoke yourself with somebody who doesn't have access to that infinite resource to love like Jesus and to respond like a faith with Jesus follower, it goes out. The only way that thing keeps burning 
is if it doesn't cap itself with human understanding and human ways, and we become individuals who trust him, and we keep ourselves constantly attentive to the infinite provision of God. Here's the thing. The Bible says even when the other flame goes out, you stay there, all right? Maybe she's walled off and hers went out, but you stay there because your sanctifying presence, that light that keeps shining, is gonna be the means that maybe God shows them as a source of love that's unfathomable to them that will potentially bring them back. And even if it doesn't come back, Eve's not your business, Adam's not your business. You just stay connected to me because it's not about you. It's a gift. Father, I pray. That we would be people who understand that you're a good father and that we should treasure your word and live your way. Help us to relate to each other, Lord, as as if it's a gift. I thank you for the gift of this body that spurs me on, that reminds me to cherish my Eve. I thank you for my Eve that is on mission for you and sees you as a good, good master and father. And because of that, she's an amazing mate. Help us to encourage folks who have Adams and Eves that are not on mission and who don't see you as a good master to continually live on mission now to fulfill their covenant commitment so the world looks at them and goes, who are you people? So that we can say we are people of God called by his name who are loving the way he loves and staying faithful the way he is faithful. May we have alien marriages in this church. And may most of them be alien because they're filled with blessing, filled with love, selflessness, constant cherishing, eyes only for one another, because we're following your word. Bless these people, Lord. Help them to hear this hard truth, to live in it for your glory and our great good. In Jesus' name, amen.